The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. There's a strong link between sports and medicine. If you're not at the top of your medical game, you can't play well, or you just can't play. Welcome to Bruce the Sports Doc with medical expert Dr. Bruce Grossinger. This program looks at advances and breakthroughs in medicine and how it relates to sports. Plus, you'll receive preventative tips and analysis of sports injuries this week. Now, here's Bruce the Sports Doc. Welcome to the newest edition of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and we're here with co-host Spencer the Wizard, and we're here with Big Red Will Pedrick, and we'll be breaking down the NBA Finals. Right now, the Heat lead... Two to one. And later on, we're going to be talking about some surprise sports medicine topics. The weather's beautiful back east. We've got, uh, we're in, we're in the 90s here. And I hope the weather across the country through all of our listeners and, of course, our, our listeners from the far east, of course, I know there's a lot of them here. I hope they, uh, they enjoy the show. So again, welcome. And let me turn it over to Spencer the Wizard and guest host, champion high school. Substitute, Will Patrick. Oh, we got the 10th man on the basketball team. Friend Central Phoenix Star Center. William Big Red Pedrick is in studio. He's my best friend, and he's the best hybrid four you'll find across the Northeast. I just want to give a shout-out to all my fans listening across the world. I love y'all, and I don't know how I'd live without you guys. You guys make this show, and you guys make me. So I just want to thank you. And right now, we got William Pedrick in the house. And uh, Will, just say hi to America and say hi to the listeners. Hey, how's it going, America? I know uh, I'm really honored to be on the show because I know how prestigious it is across the United States and, you know, in other countries around the world. (laughs) I mean, we have a guest list, actually. Um, I I mean, he was 80th on the guest list, so um, he he jumped up through the rankings, and he's very fortunate to be here because um, one slip up and you're gone. That's that's how our studio works. And I understand the rules, too. And, you know, I'm... I'm a little nervous because you know it's not it's it's not my first time, but I'm a little nervous to be on the show. Right. But, well, uh, we had one epic time back when we were both kids on the Kids Network a very long time ago, but um, you know, people have to move on. We're grown men now. We're just grown men now. We're too we're too big for the uh, kids station. Right. We're too big, and we're just chasing a dream. Don't mean to be controversial, but I guess that's what we're doing. Okay. Anyway, I'm going to have to center this conversation out because we can all see that Will is really nervous and he's not even functioning in complete I'm not even in my – I'm not in the zone yet. So let's start talking. We have to get him in his element. And speaking of his element, his element is a basketball court. And that's where this kid lives day in and day out. And um, he's definitely been watching the NBA Finals. And this is a sports show, so I think it's appropriate that we center this conversation to heat and thunder basketball so right now in the series after game three with Miami winning by four 
Um, they have a two-one lead in the series. Uh, Will, what do you, what are your analysis um, on this series with LeBron and Durant going at each other? Um, just what what things have you seen um, during the series that have caught your eye? I know Durant was the hero in Game One. And um, and then in Game Two and Game Three, LeBron has stepped up in the fourth quarter and has played pretty consistent basketball. What are your What is your take on the series? Well, you know, uh, I I think that you know LeBron gets a lot more easy looks throughout the game. Like he gets a lot of layups, a lot of dunks. Whereas you know Kevin Durant, although he's probably a much better shooter, I would say he uh, most of his points come from really hard like fadeaway threes mm-hmm. or very far shots. And so I would say that, uh, you know, LeBron has really stepped up in the fourth quarter. Not, it's not like him, I would say, but, you know, I really, right, he's more of a three-quarter kind of guy. But, uh, you know, I think that because a lot of the time they've been covering each other, I think that LeBron is probably a better defender than Kevin Durant. I think he's probably the most athletic player in the NBA. So, you know, he's a better defender, so he really has been shutting down Kevin Durant the last two games in the fourth quarter. Whereas although Durant has his length, which is great for defense, he's just not as athletic as LeBron. True. Also, I think that, you know, the Heat have been getting a lot of foul calls in their favor. Yeah, that's true. You know, with the NBA and Tim Donahue, the ref who bet on NBA games, um, definitely viewers of the game are checking into how the refs are calling the series. Game two, the call on Kevin Durant as he was trying to tie the game, that call definitely went noticed as LeBron clearly fouled Durant um, in that situation. And if Durant were given those two free throws, this might be a whole different series. But... You know, LeBron, you mentioned the fact that Durant has to score from the outside, and I think you gotta credit Miami's defense. You know, you look at Dwayne Wade, you look at Chris Bosch and LeBron. They're, yeah, exactly. Shane Batty and Mike Miller, they can all play defense and they're all athletic. The theme about the Miami Heat getting to the finals is they, they usually win their games in the 80s because they're such a good defensive team. And LeBron scores more inside also, to your point, because I think LeBron just built like a bull. And he's so athletic, but he's so strong. Like he's just, he's one of the, he's a freak athlete and he's built so, he's built so big. And like when he comes down the lane, it's like a freight train. And I don't think anyone wants to get in front of that guy. So that's why LeBron is so effective when he goes to the hole. And that's why analysts are so critical of him because he, when he settles for jump shots, um, he's not using his full potential. Uh, last night in the game, there were, t- when Derek Fisher hit a big three to put the Thunder up by 10 in the third quarter, um, I thought that they had control of the game, and then the Thunder just were running into three-point shooters. There were two three-point shooters that were fouled, and Oklahoma City uh, you know, let Miami back into the game. It's such a game of runs. Uh, but in the first two games, um, Miami just jumped out to a huge lead. So... Will, my question is, in the fourth quarter from Oklahoma City and Miami, which team do you think can function better in a half-court offense, and who do you like coming down the stretch in a close game? Well, you know, I definitely think that although the Heat, well, actually both teams were really good in uh, when they're just running the floor. Like, they get a steal, or they get a long rebound, and they just push the ball. You know, we see Dwayne Wade and LeBron passing so well, all the highlight plays, top ten plays. And we see that a lot from Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, too, with the dunks and everything. But I think that the Heat have a much better half-court offense, just because, I mean, sometimes when it's not going well, it's going awful. But when it's going well, it's going great. Because they always have the shots. Right. On 
like you can we can get a shot no matter what they they'll get a shot from Dwayne Wade you know a little pump fake or they get LeBron to try and get a foul call or he puts up a shot and when it's going well when they're both in a rhythm you know they can't be stopped they but when they're missing shots in the fourth quarter it's over for the heat because other options would be Chris Bosh you know although he's probably the most three point specialist. Uh, yeah you know three point specialist from the corner he's made a few Mr. Ray Allen right <laughs> well not not right now Ray's not doing too well but uh you know i would definitely say that uh Chris Bosh actually i would say is the most important player in their offense because he can they both, Dwayne Wade and LeBron, play best when he's in because they play off of him well, better than they play off each other. But, you know, you can't give him the ball in the fourth quarter, you know. I don't think that he can make those shots when it comes down to it. Uh, you know, when I look at the Thunder, I just look at Westbrook as such a young point guard and he's so unpolished. And I just looked at Harden and Durant and they just look like they were forcing way too many shots on the road. Like, it just looks like when they need a basket, it's hard for Durant. Yesterday, he was awkwardly driving and putting up floaters from, like, 15 feet that were barely hitting glass. Yeah, not a place where you throw No, that's not Tony Parker, crispy floater. That's more like a Spencer Grossinger erratic rainbow backboard. floater. A little Uncle Drew before Kyrie Irving came into the picture. So, um, the, the Thunder just looks so awkward on offense. The Heat are really condensing their defense. Harden is, is pushing a little bit. Like, he wants to be that third scorer, but he has to look to pass to his teammates. The Thunder have to get out to a bigger lead, and they have to run better plays for Durant. Westbrook, as a point guard, needs to actually facilitate the ball better. Um, and right now, it just looks like Miami just has an answer for everything Oklahoma City's doing. I think that Dwayne Wade's playing like he can, and I think LeBron is stepping up more than he ever has. He's right in the prime of his career, and Battier, too. Um, yeah. Well, another thing would be players coming off the bench. And I feel like, you know, early in the season, we were saying the Heat, their players aren't earning their money, really. Like, Dwayne Wade, LeBron are trying to step up. Chris Bosh is coming in, even though he was recently injured. He's coming in. He's playing hard. Shane Battier has been playing great the, the entire playoffs. But, you know, those players coming off the bench just aren't doing it for them. You know, when's the last, besides in the past two games, before that, when's the last time Jim, uh, James Jones made a shot? Mm-hmm. You know? Right. What's he doing? He's okay. sitting there. He's getting paid millions of dollars. You got to do something. Exactly. But, Come uh, on, James Jones. In the last two games, I would say that the Heat bench has stepped up. And although we talk about, you know, the Thunder's bench is amazing for the NBA in the regular season. And, and before the last two games, they've been playing great in the playoffs. You know, last night and the night, or the game before that, they just, yeah. they weren't doing it. Yeah. You know, even my man, Daquan Cook, you know, former Philly. Ohio State. Yeah. And, uh, former Heat player too, Columbus, you know. Columbus. My favorite player. He's he's favorite not stepping up. Oh, wait, you're saying Daquan's your favorite NBA basketball? Player? Daquan Cook is my favorite NBA basketball player. Wow. See that that's something. If I had about 20 guesses, I would not. Right. So this is something close. you're getting. This is original. Okay. Exactly. You know, most most guests Spencer has would say, you know, LeBron, Kevin Durant, those top players. I gotta go with the underdog. D D Cook. D Cook. Yeah. You know. Daquan. He's a little short, but he shoots the three. Sometimes he misses it. Freak out. Sometimes he's Brick City, but other nights yeah. he might have a three. I, I like Brick City. I like Brick City, too. All right, well, we're running up against the break. Um, quick points right here. I'm going to flash them out real quick. Hopefully you can grab them before you go and get a snack. Um, right here, 
Miami's free throw shooting is 85% as a team, including LeBron has been on fire from the line and Oklahoma City's just choking. They, they're just not hitting their free throws and they just don't look poised. They're just such a young team and the Heat players have all been there, done that. Haslam, even guys like Chalmers, Mike Miller, they were all on the team last year. And so that experience playing in the finals and playing front of the big stage, and I think that LeBron is definitely pressing harder than Durant for the championship. For the Thunder to win this series, they need to definitely win game four. It's a must-win game. Um, and uh, real quick, we're going to pass it back to Will. We'll be right back. One more thing is that uh, I would say the best player on the Heat, it's really now LeBron's team. And although everyone can say that it's Kevin Durant's team as the Thunder is Kevin Durant's team, uh, I would say that Russell Westbrook is having a little bit of a hard time, I would say, or he's really struggling with this relationship of he's not the best player, he's the second option, and you know, a lot of the time he's being, he's the first option, he gets a lot of criticism for that, although, you know, in the system, Scott Brooks loves it, he always says, I love how aggressive he is, I think Dwayne Wade is a lot better at being that second option, and he knows how to flow with the game, being the second option, not overshooting and not undershooting, because he's been there before. And I think that Russell Westbrook is just so young, he doesn't know these different roles to play. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Okay, sports fans, here's your opportunity to discuss football, America's favorite sport. On an annual basis, millions of people attend, watch, and listen to football, both pro and college. Ray Ellis Sports, an internet talk radio show, was developed with the fan in mind. Join host, former Philadelphia Eagles and Cleveland Browns strong safety, Ray Ellis, on Voice America Sports every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific for exciting, interactive football discussions from the fans' perspective. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific to Ray Ellis Sports right here on the Voice America Network. And let's talk football. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. 
Welcome to the second segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. We're right in the middle of NBA Finals, and we're really enjoying our guest commentator, Will Pedrick, and as always, Spedge the Wizard. It's time to put on our crystal ball and look and see what is going to happen. Who's going to win the NBA Finals? What are the subplots? And here we go. By the time you listen to this tomorrow, luckily, the NBA Finals will not be over, and therefore we will not be embarrassed. Let me turn it over to Spencer the Wizard. Woo! That's me. I'm Spencer the Wizard Grossinger, and I'm back in action. So right now, as my dad has previewed, do-do-do-do-do, let's take out the, our Magic 8 ball, and let's preview the next... Upcoming game. Uh, Bruce the Sports Doc just making some funny faces. But right now we're going to be previewing the, our um, NBA games that are on the slate tomorrow, and that's game four, the NBA Finals. So right now, Will Pedrick is first to go. What do you think is going to happen tomorrow in the evening? Uh, I say that the Thunder win. I think that, you know, Russell Westbrook is going to come out in the first quarter and score over 15 points, and he's going to be shooting over 50% from uh, the field, and then Kevin Durant in the fourth quarter will have over 15 points to uh, win the game. So a big four from Durant. Um, tomorrow, um, it's going to be a close game. Uh, you know, my pick was Thunder in six games, and so far, the way Miami has played down the stretch and Oklahoma City really has an advantage at home because they run better at home and they just are, you know, excited by the crowd at the Chesapeake Bay Arena in Oklahoma City. It's hard to say this because I picked the Thunder to win in six games, but honestly, my heart is telling me that it, it could be Miami's year, and I see Miami tomorrow night winning by ten. I just see them getting off to a big start. I mean, I just see them in the fourth quarter kind of just breaking away. I think LeBron and Wade will go on a tirade. And the Thunder will, again, like, make, you know, won't give up. They'll make lasting uh, attempts to come back. Um, And I think Durant's a great player, but I just think he's going to have trouble creating his own shot. And, um, And I see the Thunder winning or losing the game tomorrow. Well, you know, uh, this year's playoffs has seen. A lot of players stepping up from off the bench, like, you know, Cinderella stories like Marquise Daniels coming in for the Celtics, scoring a bunch of points. My prediction is that the Thunder win, as I said before, and Daquan Cook scores over 15 points and plays over 10 minutes of the game. And I think, you know, Derek Fisher is going to come up big, not just in scoring, but, you know, his leadership, because he is probably the oldest or most experienced player on the Thunder. He already has five rings. So I think he's been here before. Other guys haven't, but he's going to step up and lead them. And I think that the Thunder will win the entire series. How many games do you think they'll win it in six games? I think it's going to be seven games. Seven game series. Well, that is that is very true. I believe that for Miami to win the series, they have to be up three to two. They obviously have to win one of the next two games because Oklahoma City at home is going to be hard to beat. 
And I think Miami going there and winning a Game 7 on the road in Oklahoma City's house, that's part of the reason why I picked Oklahoma City to win the series from the get-go. I expected Oklahoma City to roll Miami the first two games, and then having the home court advantage on the back end in the last two games, their arena is just so hard to play in for Miami. Um, And for, frankly, any team in the NBA, Oklahoma City's fan base is just so powerful, and they have the best six-man in the country in their fan base. So um, I think Miami's going to win this game, though, and take a demanding 3-1 lead. I see Miami at six. And, you know, I think that uh, Oklahoma City's fans are really great, and they've uh, people think that they're the best in the country because one one key aspect would be that Oklahoma City doesn't have a lot of other – or they don't have any other sports teams, really, besides Oklahoma City Thunder. And so, I mean, their fans go crazy. They say it's the loudest stadium to play in, and that's partially because of the great players they have. They make so many highlight plays, even on the defensive end, Serge Ibaka – and Cephalosha, you saw the other night when he picked uh, Dwayne Wade. Oh, yeah, and made the, the reverse layout. Right. Um, you're right, Oklahoma City has a great fan base. Tomorrow night, what I think is going to be the difference is LeBron James, just in the third quarter, is going to explode, and Dwayne Wade, like I said, will go on a big run. Um, in terms of this year's finals to last year's finals, I think that the Dallas series with Dirk, Jason Kidd, Jason Terry, they've never won a championship before. Even though the Thunder are a young, up-and-coming team, I think that last year going out and for Dallas winning the game, winning the series, I think that that series was a little more of an exciting NBA Finals. How would you rank this NBA Finals in recent history um, compared to the previous ones? Well, you know, uh, I'm a big fan of Dirk Nowitzki, so I I was very excited with last year's finals, and uh, you know I think he's a great player, especially because he's not like other players that are flashy and everything. He gets his points off of you know the fadeaway, kind of looks clunky or awkward, but I like it, and uh, I think that this is also exciting because it's different because you know Dirk came back in a lot of ways, he was the main scorer, but I think that the Thunder can be more exciting than the Dallas Mavericks. I think that Dallas winning last year was huge with Dirk and, and Jason finally winning a championship. This year, since LeBron didn't win it the last two times he was in the finals versus San Antonio and versus Dallas, if he wins this championship, um, what do you think the critics and um, will say about LeBron James and how will he fare in his career going forward? I think if he wins this this one NBA Finals, um, that he's going to experience a lot more over his over the years because the first one is obviously um, the hardest to get. And I believe that if he wins this one, there'll be nothing really to insult about LeBron because he has been clutching these playoffs. And it's funny, even when Dwayne Wade chokes, we kind of consider him on a different level because of 2006. Because he has a ring, we consider him a champion. So whenever Wade misses a shot in the fourth quarter, we're always like, oh, he's still clutch, he's still Batman, he still has an NBA ring. When LeBron misses, we're kind of like, oh, this guy's a choker in the fourth quarter, he can't win the championship, Mr. Second Place, never going to be the winner. So I think it'll be huge in his legacy. It's not just one championship. Yeah, uh... I think it might silence some of the critics saying that he's ringless or those insults, but I don't think it's going to help his fan base that much because, uh, you know, a lot of people really dislike him and the Heat because of the way they went about the decision 
And, you know, when they said, when LeBron said, we're not looking for one championship, we're looking for, you know, four or five or six, and he kept going. So they're pretty, uh, they're pretty cocky in how they think they're going to win a lot. So I still think people will dislike them. You know, I think, though, it's big because their critics, since he hasn't won a championship, like Dan Gilbert, the Cleveland Cavaliers owner, even had a bet with LeBron saying, we're going to win a championship before you do, LeBron. And so if LeBron wins a championship, he's not going to gain more fans. I agree with you that he won't gain more fans because it's like a front runner winning the championship. It's not that exhilarating that they finally won. But the critics are going to be less vocal. They're going to be less in the ear of LeBron James. They're going to pay him a little bit more respect. They're still going to dislike him a lot, but they're not going to have much ammunition in their argument to hate on the guy. So it's going to be easier to face his critics. One big subplot is Russell Westbrook. He he really caught a lot of criticism for Game 2 for really overshooting the ball, over-dribbling it, and not being a classic point guard. Before Game 3, he he said boldly, I'm not going to change. This is who I am, and I'm not going to change. I don't care what you say. So that's certainly one plot. Uh, I think he's got something to prove also with Eric Spolstra. Uh, I think Spencer and I have kidded around that uh, either either one of us could coach this team very well. All you have to do is tell him to go out on the court and play. So if the Heat should somehow lose, the question is, will Spolstra be back? I think even if they lose, going to the finals two straight years in any sport is still an accomplishment. I don't. I think Pat Riley's a little old to be a head coach. I kind of think he's he likes just chilling and not having the be to be coaching eighty games and not having the travel. So I think Spolstra will still have it. I still think he did a solid job, and and yeah, I, I still see him there. Well, uh, I think they could really just fire Eric and not have a coach at all with the talent they have. But I think they will keep Spolstra because. Obviously, they've been successful, even more successful, I would say, in this season, not necessarily in the playoffs, but regular season. If you look at their wins and losses, they played amazing. They were probably a lot better this year than they were last year. They're getting better playing together. And although we joke that, you know, he has nothing to do with it, I'm sure he has something to do with, you know, the way they play, the way they play together and synchronizing them and their roles. So I do think he will be back. Well, we're ending the, the second segment. We want to thank Will Pedrick, who hails from uh, the Friend Central Phoenix. Uh, he's an excellent scholar-athlete, and uh, we'll see where he's going to college. I'm sure that Will will be an asset to any university that he chooses, and we wish him all the best. Thanks for being with us here at Bruce's Sports Talk. Up next, U.S. Open Review. And... For all you golf fanatics, we're going to go deep into the U.S. Open at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. Again, go get your snack. We'll be back in three minutes. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. 
Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. Kevin Lewis has been a student of the game his entire life. From Little League to the NFL. Tune in Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, right here on Voice America Sports. Hustling with K. Lewis. It's not where you start, it's how you finish. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's a tough shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left to left. I don't care where they put him. This one is out of here. From high school to the pros, we... Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Bruce the Sports Doc here on the Voice American Network. Welcome to the next segment of our show. Um, While well, we broadcasted the NBA Finals, um, and now we're going to talk about the U.S. Open Championship that went on this weekend. Sunday was a great w- Sunday was a great sports day because you had the U.S. Open and you had the NBA Finals going on at one time. So that's like a sport watcher's dream Sunday. And I thought that the U.S. Open lived up to its hype as it came down to the last hole of the U.S. Open with Jim Furyk and Graham McDowell duking it out and trying to tie Webb Simpson. Both failed to birdie the last hole. But it was very exciting. You saw some people choke under pressure. And you saw some people step through and pass with flying colors. And that's all what the U.S. Open has to offer. Right here, I'm with my co-host, the best, Dr. Bruce H. Grossinger. And I want to hear from him what he thought about Sunday at the U.S. Open. And what he thought about the U.S. Open overall as it was at the Olympic Club in San Francisco. Well... Uh, as always, U.S. Open is must-see t- must TV. It's on Father's Day, and sure enough, we end up watching it with our families. And uh, I guess my thoughts about the tournament were, I felt bad for Jim Furyk. He played great. He was consistent. He was like a machine, like Iron Byron. But came to the log par five on the back nine, and... Actually, it was short by 100 yards. All he had to do was hit a fairway wood. But instead, he hit 
the worst shot of his life. He had a shot that I've hit so many times in my life, and it's called a duck hook. It happens when you uh, essentially close the club face, your body doesn't turn through, and I don't know why they call it a duck hook, but maybe it's because you're quacking. But essentially, it uh, it goes right to left, and in this case, it went into the trees. All he had was a chip out, and at that point, it was the beginning of the end for Jim Furyk. It appears that at that point, he uh, he looked jittery, and he couldn't get it back. And I, I felt bad for Jim. He's 42 years old. He's not going to have that many shots at the U.S. Open, a really grueling tournament. And uh, I was happy for Webb Simpson. Don't know him very well. Seems like a very nice guy, a family man. Seems like a religious guy. I mean, obviously, he said he was praying a lot, so that makes me think he's a bit religious. He's got a small baby. And uh, really, he came out of nowhere. Two years ago, nobody knew who he was. But looking at him, he's got a great swing. He's got poise under pressure. He relied on his caddy at the end. Made an amazing up and down on 18. His ball was buried, essentially, in an old sprinkler head. And uh, you could barely see the ball. There was 80,000. No, I think not 80. I think it's 8,000. There were 8,000 people on the hillside. Imagine looking at 8,000 people on the on the 72nd hole of the U.S. Open. Your ball's buried, and everything comes down to one shot. And to be able to execute that shot, to hit it within a foot or two of the pin, and then to go through your putting routine and get down to two. Certainly also with three birdies on his final round, unlike Furyk, who had no birdies. Um, so Webb Simpson essentially played his game. The other people came back to him, and Graham McDowell uh, played great on the 17th hole, very clutch. But on the 18th hole, a very tough hole for birdie. I think there was only six players who had birdie on the 18th in the final round, and he just couldn't do it. And when his putt essentially was a right to left, and everybody in the announcer's towers who had watched people come up and down all day long said, it's got to be right to left. You see shot tracker right to left. And you look at him, line his putter up to the left. You could say, there's no way he's making the putt. Sure enough, he hit it right on line. And what happened? He missed the putt. Came in second place. But Graham McDowell had a great tournament. Well, those were very, those were excellent analysis. I thought that I thought that Webb Simpson, the winner of the tournament, I think that the situation he was put in, Everyone was in a logjam at this tournament. There was no one who was really jumped ahead of the field. No, like, Tiger Woods, like, running off by 10-stroke performances. So each each person was within, like, two strokes of the lead at one point, which made for a logjam and a very exciting tournament. I thought that Webb Simpson, to win this U.S. Open, he had a perfect storm. One, he had absolutely no pressure because he was playing in a group that was way ahead of the final competitors where he can just go out and play his round and not really worry about score because frankly, he's not he doesn't he's not even he doesn't have the most following. He's not in the lead. He's just one of the guys essentially. He's just one of the guys. He's not playing in the last group, so he can go out and try to score a low number. And whatever he does will hopefully leave tracks. And that's what he did. Um, Webb Simpson was spot on all day long. He just had it working on the final day. 
he had a, he had some solid rounds in the tournament to put himself in the position to win, and then he was just spectacular on Sunday. His iron game was was awesome. He was putting it like within six feet every time. He had putts at birdie all the time, and he even didn't make all of his putts. He even missed a couple birdie putts that he should have made. He would have won by a larger margin. Uh, I remember on the par fives, he didn't even take advantage of those. So Webb Simpson was just awesome the final day. And uh, just a, just a very solid performance, but at the same time, uh, he he finished and he had to rely um, with his score on the leaders, which were Jim Furyk and Graham McDowell, to to falter. And McDowell really did in the first seven holes. He was back. He was way back in the pack. He was at plus four. He was blundering, and I mean, I don't blame him. Those first six holes are very difficult. Jim Furyk. It's a very sad story. He's an older guy. Um, he kind of is um, might be in the autumn of his golfing career. Uh, with his swing, especially, I think that, and with his hands, um, the way they are, being a 42-year-old, I think it's tough to putt with those wrinkly hands. I think that your hands really let you down a little bit as you're putting. And a duck hook that he did was right over the top. I mean, that's a shot that you see a seven-year-old hit, and to see Jim and to see a professional hit a shot that poorly just shows you how nervous Jim Furyk was all day. He was playing. So, so conservative. He was playing like a chicken, not going at any pins, and just relying on just playing not to lose, basically. Not playing to win and get a birdie, but playing not to lose and playing scared. And unfortunately, his conservative ways didn't get him where he wanted. Webb Simpson decided to hunt flags. Jim Furyk just wanted to hit it anywhere in the, in the area code of the flag. Um, but the duck hook, you're right, really cost Jim Furyk. But um, as you get older, as I said, with your hands, it's not good because you really don't have control of the putter head when you get that old. So uh, Jim Furyk, it's not a heartbreaker, though, because the guy has won major championships. It's not like Lee Westwood, who has never closed a deal ever in his entire life. Jim Furyk is a U.S. Open champion. He was just trying to pad his trophy case even more. Um, for Webb Simpson, he's so young that he would have had some more opportunities in the future. Um, but, you know, it was, it was a good tournament. The ending was fairly exciting. Uh, I would have liked to see a playoff the next day, especially with how many competitors were up there, especially with Ernie, Lee Westwood, Michael Thompson, uh, some interesting players. Well, firstly, let me clarify, uh, you know, the nice thing about this show is that we don't always have to agree on everything. Um, Jim Furyk is 42. He's not 82. He doesn't have the yips. He doesn't have putting yips. He uses a regular-sized putter. He's steady. Uh, I wouldn't say he played like a chicken. You, you might say he looks like a chicken, and that's not – and that's okay. You know, that's not an insult, you know. that's not an insult. That's not an insult because it's kind of true. But the fact is, saying the guy played like a chicken, the fact that he was managing uh, beautifully, he was basically averting danger at every turn for uh, – for 69 holes, I, I just don't think that's uh, – I think that's a little harsh, so I, I don't agree with that. I think Furyk played a beautiful tournament, and just to have one bad swing, you know, if, if you're a golfer, any small variable, you could have one bad swing, and these guys are the best in the world. So I feel bad for him. I think we need to talk about Tiger Woods. Tiger Woods had a share of the lead. He was tied for the lead, 
after the second round of the U.S. Open. In that position, he usually does very well. But in this case, third and fourth round, he was extremely average. He, uh, he basically didn't judge his distance very well to the green. Uh, and in this, if, if you're not perfectly on the green, off the green you're dealing with sand, rough, and all kinds of crazy stuff. You're also dealing with um, a six-inch second cut of rough. And, uh, and Tiger Woods just looked out of sync. He looked out of it. A lot of bogeys in the last round. He finally had a birdie and basically didn't even look at the crowd, just kind of waved in disgust. And uh, very disappointing. You know, this is this is the major that we thought he was going to win. He was uh, He was leading up to it, and then he just folded, just like anybody else. I thought that Tiger Woods was below average. I thought that in the final rounds, he, he drove the ball poor. Well, he actually had his irons pretty well, but his approach shots weren't on the mark. And you need to, you know, get on the green in, the, in these U.S. Open conditions. Um, I thought that with Jim Furyk, I mean, you mentioned that, that the tournament came down to one swing. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that in sports, a shot doesn't come down to one of something, one kick, one shot. I think that it's a whole scheme and 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 course of work, and I thought that Furyk, I thought that he was just off all day. I mean, on seventeen on the par five, um, he just didn't birdie a par five. He he hit it. I think was it in the sand trap? No, I think he hit it in the in a rough and had a really long birdie putt. Also on the eighteenth hole, he had a wedge in his hand and blew it way to the left. So I just think his swing was just off the entire day. Um, and not just for that one swing. Um, for Tiger Woods, though, in the U.S. Open, it's a different tournament than the Masters. Because if you get bogeys and if you have double bogeys and have a couple bad holes, it's not like you're going to surge up the leaderboard. The U.S. Open is a course where you have to remain steady and where pars are great scores. Pars are essentially birdies. It's not like the Masters where if you're down by like five strokes, you have all those par fives coming up and you can go on a string of birdies. You can't do that at a U.S. Open. You can't just make four birdies in a row. That's almost impossible. The U.S. Open is built for people that are close to the lead to stay in the lead and for people to blunder. It's And Webb Simpson won it by scoring a pretty good score and having other people blunder for him. So so basically, that's what the U.S. Open's all about. At the Masters, like Phil Mickelson, you can be down by seven strokes and your psyche can still be, I can make a lot of birdies. I can eagle these par fives. I can get right back in it on the back nine, but not the U.S. Open. So um, that's really a U.S. Open um, wrap-up um, of a great tournament, and it's always a great tradition on Father's Day. Um, to be spending it with the one I love and Bruce the Sports Stock and he's my best friend and he's an unbelievable dad and I just wanted to say that as we mark our Father's Day episode 2012. Well, thanks. Uh, I appreciate it. As always, heartfelt and honest. Uh, we want to uh, basically uh, pay tribute to all the fathers out there and all the families. We hope you enjoyed your Father's Day. I know we enjoyed our third segment today and uh as we explained, the next segment will deal with treating low back pain. How do you tell if it's a serious problem or just a strain? Stay tuned. We'll be right back on the Voice America Sports Network.
your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Dr. Bruce Grossinger is a board-certified neurologist and managing partner of Grossinger Neuropain Specialist. Serving the Philadelphia and Wilmington, Delaware areas in the fields of sports medicine, pain management, interventional spinal surgeries, and occupational medicine, Dr. Bruce is the director of the National Sports Concussion Program and works as a senior medical advisor for the National High School Coaches Association. We're involved in the propagation of increased safety measures in all levels of sports participation to render the games safer in terms of brain and spinal injuries. This involves education of athletes, parents, trainers, coaches, and administrators at the amateur and professional levels. Clinical consultations and treatment can be scheduled directly with Dr. Grossinger at 610-521-6063. Visit Dr. Bruce online at brucethesportsdoc.com. Again, for consultations and treatment, call 610-521-6063 or visit brucethesportsdoc.com. If you want to talk about the East Coast sports scene, particularly from the Southeast, make sure you tune in to the Jeff Owen Show every Tuesday. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the other teams and news that's out there, but host Jeff Owens and co-host Tasha Humphrey know the inside and out of the Georgia college sports world, and they were born there, raised there, and still live the scene. We'll talk about every sport imaginable. Tune in on Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You are listening to Bruce the Sports Doc with Dr. Bruce Grossinger. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call in at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or send an email to bruce at brucethesportsdoc.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the fourth and final segment of Bruce the Sports Doc. I'm your host, Dr. Bruce Grossinger, and I'm a neurologist and pain doctor in the Philadelphia metropolitan area. Therefore, if you're within the sound of my voice, that is, you could drive to my office anywhere, Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Delaware, I'm here to help. Again, we treat sports injuries, car accidents, work injuries, anybody in pain. So if you're interested in seeing me and getting a consultation, you could call our office at 610 610- Five two one six zero six three. Again, six one zero five two one six zero six three. This segment is about a common theme. It's called lumbar injuries, low back injuries. We wanted to have you be able to discriminate between musculoskeletal pain and more serious injuries. Firstly, how do we distinguish benign low back pain? Typically, that deals with pain in your back that does not radiate down into your legs. We have to look at certain features that do not exist with you. That is, no radiating pain into either leg, no leg weakness, no numbness, consistently in one or both legs. Most importantly, no change in urination or bowel habits. So even if the pain is excruciating... That doesn't necessarily mean that you have a serious nerve or disc problem. Let's go to the converse now. What heightens our thoughts that you may have a herniated disc? 
Firstly, it has to do with the type of injury during play. Oftentimes, it's a hyperextension of the spine, a direct contact. Jumping and twisting are all risk factors for herniated discs. Also, if you feel a pop or actually hear a pop while exerting, that makes it more likely that you have a herniated disc as opposed to a benign strain. So what do you do? The first thing I would suggest is ice, rest, if necessary, elevate the legs. And the next thing is go to a qualified doctor. Certainly you could go to your family doctor. You could go to a host of specialists, orthopedic doctors, neurologists, neurosurgeons. And what they'll do, the first thing is they're going to take a history and they're going to do a physical exam. If they find that the motor power to both your legs is normal, that is your full strength, they check your reflexes usually at the knees and the ankles, they're normal and symmetric, and your sensation is totally intact. That certainly is encouraging. And it's more likely that this is just a strain of the back, and it should get better with time and or any other conservative treatments. The converse is, if your doctor finds a pattern of weakness, reflex change, usually a dim diminished reflexes or sensory loss following a back injury, it's time to take the next step. These days, the next step involves a high-resolution lumbar MRI. No need to have contrast for this. And now, most open and closed MRIs yield roughly equivalent results. There was a time that open MRIs, which were more comfortable for the patients, really um, gave us a fairly poor view of things. And those times have changed. So you go to a qualified MRI center. Usually a neuroradiologist will read it, and they'll give you the results. Common findings. A little bit of drying of the discs, no big deal. A little bit of narrowing, no big deal. Bulging, not so bad. When you get into words like herniation and extrusion, that means that the inner part of the disc, the nucleus pulposus, has ruptured through the outer covering, and bad things happen. Two particular bad scenarios. One is the disc breaks through the outer covering and compresses directly on the nerve root coming out of the back. Another potential finding is the disc could herniate and cause a local chemical reaction. That is, with certain chemical mediators in the body, the disc may not be seen to compressing the nerve root, but a lot of inflammatory mediators, prostaglandins, and other type of vasodilators come into the area, and what do they do? They irritate the nerve, and they could even injure the nerve. Under these scenarios, it's time to recognize that there's a problem. Let's say you have a herniated disc. What's next? I'm going to be targeting specifically sports injuries with this answer. Ice, anti-inflammatory medications, and, and gentle stretching after a period of rest are indicated. However, physical therapy, while clearly helpful, 
instituted too early could actually cause propagation and worsening of symptoms. And a full course of physical therapy may take so long that the athlete may essentially uh, have the clock run out on the season. So a next step that I advocate is something we do in the office, and that's called epidural steroidal injections. In our office, we don't use cortisone anymore. We use corticosteroids in association with local anesthetic agents. We do it under local. It's quick. It's easy. We use a fluoroscope, which is a special x-ray that gives us a multi-planar view so we know exactly where the needle is. It's usually very quick. You might wonder, what are the results of epidural steroidal injections? I refer you now to the 2012 American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons annual meeting. And I'll also reference a Dr. David Geyer Jr. of Charleston. Shout, shout out at to him. He's an orthopedic surgical director. And he did a nice review. And I'll be, pre, I'll be presenting his review and analysis along with the results from the 2012 American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons annual meeting in, of all places, San Francisco, home of the 2012 U.S. Open. There's a citation of Dr. Crick. I'll spell the name, K-R-Y-C-H, M.D., who noted a review of a single NFL football team over a seven-year duration from 2003 to 2010. So there were 17 players who had distinct disc herniations. A total of 37 epidural injections were performed for the 27 disc herniations. And when were they performed? Pretty soon after, an average of four days from the injury. What are the results? The answer simply is encouraging. 89% of the NFL players on that team returned to play after the injections, and they only lost 2.8 practices and 0.6 games. Four players required a repeat injection, and three of those four were essentially in a group with a subset group that eventually did worse and required surgery. So of these 17 players, ultimately only three required surgery. 89% did very well. So these are very encouraging statistics. So why do epidural injections? They're safe, particularly when fluoroscopy is used. They're effective and usually well-tolerated. And most importantly, they could avert the need for major surgery. They can also enable a return to play, not only for athletes, but also others, such as weekend warriors and uh, a whole host of people who have these low back syndromes. So here, we're certainly touting epidural steroidal injections featured following football-related injuries, as noted at the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Well, let's preview next week's show. This is Bruce the Sports Doc with Spencer the Wizard. Next week, we'll do an NBA Finals recap. We'll also look at a concussion update. We'll dive into the Major League Baseball season, and it'll be time to decide 
which teams are buyers, which teams are sellers. There's an additional wild card spot in the AL and NL. And what does that mean? It means more teams are hedging their bets. Less teams are bailing and selling. And it'll be quite interesting as this thing rolls right up to the All-Star break. Again, I want to thank Will Pedrick for his contribution to the show. As always, my co-host, Spencer the Wizard, otherwise known as Mini-Me. We want to thank the listeners across this great network, Voice America Sports. We want to particularly thank Ray Ellis, the sports director of Voice America Sports. We want to thank Michael Mitchell and his excellent production crew. Many times, this thing goes right down to the wire, and we've got to put our show in, and the producers, with our show in particular, don't have a lot of notice. So we want to shout out to everybody along the line of Voice America Sports. Most importantly, we want to thank you, the listeners, for allowing us to continue to mix sports and medicine. Thank you, and have a great week. Thanks for joining the discussion this week on Bruce the Sports Doc. Tune in next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with Dr. Bruce Grossinger on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll see you then. We'll see you then.